I'm going to read this passage, just verses 1 and 2 again, and we're going to take a look at them together. We'll come back to those introductions in just a moment. Ephesians 1 says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a new year, isn't it? We're all very well aware of that as we roll into this. However, sometimes this period of time, you're not quite sure what's going on. And whether you engage with it much or not, if you just don't care too much about the whole new year thing happening, it does still create this little feeling of almost expectation, reflection, anticipation. What's this year going to be like? Particularly after the last two we've had. It causes often a reflection on self. What am I... What resolutions, we often call them, am I going to have this year? What resolve will I have as I seek to live as the person that I believe myself to be? For some, what they'll do is they will seek to redefine, to redirect who they are, what they do, their identity and purpose come to the forefront at this time of the year, and that is a helpful thing for us to do, well, frequently. For some, this is such a big time, it's almost like they are reintroducing themselves to the world saying, this is who I'm going to be, this is how I want to be, this is who I am. Now, when you introduce yourselves to each other, actually, let's just do it, roll with me here for a moment, try it again. I want you to introduce yourself to the person you just spoke to, as if, and maybe for some you've already done it, but as if you'd never met them before. And think, how do you introduce yourself? Just do do the thing you roll out when you randomly meet a new person. Go, give it a go, just very quickly. Even if it is your partner, just do it to the person next to you. Introduce yourself. How do you do it? Online, you might want to tell us that quick little line that you do, how you introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Brett from Menai Baptist Church. I am a pastor, love Liverpool Football Club, married to Vic, have four kids. How do you introduce yourself? How do we go? All right, can somebody maybe from out there just shout out what was one of the first things somebody said? Hi, and then their name. Hi, I'm Brett. And then what was the next little bit of information they gave? I'm really curious about this now. I bet it wasn't their favourite food. Occupation, yes? Does she come here often? In a way, what do you do in terms of an attachment to what you're doing right now? So who we are, name... And there's, it's not much really given with a name, is there, except you're able to identify a person now. And then it often goes to what we do. And then maybe, and I'll just take over here, where we're from, right? And it's going to be slightly different depending on the, the place that you're introducing yourself in, but that tends to be the way that introductions work. And I'm hoping that what we do today as we walk through this little part of Paul's letter is that we start to see how it is that we introduce ourselves or how it is that Paul introduces himself and then addresses the Ephesians, introducing them, is actually the way that we as Christians should shape our introduction to the world, how it is that we see ourselves addressed and then introduce ourselves, because what we get in this little section is like an introduction, an introduction to Paul, an introduction to the people of God, and an introduction to the idea of grace and peace, or particularly grace. Because these first 14 verses that we'll look at in the next three weeks have this incredible flow, because what Paul does is in ancient Greco-Roman culture, they had these letters that they would write, and basically they would start with an introduction saying, this is who's writing, and then talk to the recipients, this is who I'm writing to, and then go to this prayer or, uh, or a thanksgiving, 
Paul does that, but transforms it in such a way that we can plumb the depths of it. I know we're only going to look at two verses, but there is richness in every single one of them. So the next three weeks, I hope every single one of us considers, how do I actually introduce myself? Think about how you might introduce yourself to yourself. It's a strange concept, isn't it? Who am I? Is kind of what we're asking. That identity question. And I want to press in here as we begin a new year. But really, this is something you can ask yourself each and every single day. And as Christians, a reminder we probably need each and every single day. And so let's begin. Let's begin by looking at who is first introduced, and it is Paul. We get an introduction to Paul. Verse 1, it says, Paul, (laughs) an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Paul, who is this Paul bloke? Now, obviously, he's well known to them because he just uses his name. So like when you introduce yourself, next time you see someone, they're going to know, oh, hey, it's Richard, because I met Richard. Well, you guys know each other already, but I met Richard on Sunday, the 20, on the 2nd of January, I know who that guy is. Well, Paul was known by the Ephesians that he's writing to. Obviously, they knew him. But do we? We're not always that well known on who Paul is. We, we kind of get this idea that he's the bloke that wrote most of the New Testament. But jump with me to Acts 19. This is why I said it would be really good to have a Bible in your hands. Jump with me to Acts chapter 19, because here is where he was introduced to the Ephesians and they understood who Paul was. Because listen to what happens here. While Apollos was at Corinth, now if you were with us last year, we as a church journey through Corinthians 1, 1 Corinthians 1 to 4, and we talked about Apollos, Apollos being in Corinth. Paul had just come from Corinth. Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. And there he finds some disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's this incredible moment where the Holy Spirit comes upon them. But I want to jump down a little bit because what's it say in verse 8? And the video we watched before was so good. Verse 8, it says, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. He's coming and preaching as he does. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. Now, the way is just a way of referring to Christians, the, the, the way, the, the people of God. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus or Tyrannus. This went on for two years. So he's been there for almost, as the video said, three years, so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Who is Paul to these guys? Oh, yeah, we know Paul. He's that bloke that came into town and did incredible things, preached powerfully the message of the gospel, and heaps of people believed in him. Others tried to fight against him. We know who Paul is. And so how does he introduce himself? Simply as Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And this is where we need to nestle in a little bit again. So that's who Paul was to them. But he, he, he makes sure he attaches this idea of an apostle. Again, a word that we kind of get, But what is an apostle? An apostle was someone who was seen, who had seen, and was sent. Really simply put, someone who had seen the risen Christ. So that's one way of defining who an apostle was, someone who had seen the risen Lord Jesus Christ, and someone who had been sent by either the church on a particular missionary task, the word can be used that way, or someone who was sent out as an agent of another person. Now, Paul is saying, I am an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, of God, by the will of God. I have seen the risen Lord Jesus Christ and have been sent by God, by the will of God. 
And so I want to tell you another story about that Paul actually... Well, let me tell the story in Paul's own words. So this time, jump with me to Acts 26. If you go to Acts chapter 26, we hear this story from Paul. So Paul has now been journeying around. He's been preaching. He's gone into prison. He's back out and he's on trial in Caesarea before King Agrippa, after Festus has been trying to get rid of him. And the Jews want him dead. The Jews, same Jews that are his his people formerly, because he was a Pharisee of the people, of the Jews, and now trying to get rid of him because he keeps preaching this Jesus guy. And if you have a look in verses 4 to 10, that's what we see. We see that he's, been, he's arguing his case, saying, this is who I am, this is what I've done. And then jump down to verse 11 to 18 because he describes his story. So formally he's saying, I was a Pharisee who was trying to kill off the way. He says, many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. This is the same guy that's gone to Ephesus and was preaching the way. He's going around trying to hunt these people down and oppress them. And then what happens? On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. So the head honchos have said, go get them, mate. About noon... King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Hold the phone. Who's Saul? Same guy. Saul, Paul. It's all good. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Kicking against the goads, this idea is going against the current, you could say, going against where the direction that you're being pushed. Then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you, seen, to appoint you, sent, as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see. Here he is, Apostle Paul. Now, why am I stressing this? Why am I unpacking this? Why am I making sure we get who Paul is? Well, because he did write most of the New Testament. This is God's authority, not Paul's. I, I, I struggle sometimes with this concept that Paul, one fella, one fella wrote all of this and has helped transform the entire world. But it's not Paul that's done that. It's Paul under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, under God's authority. And we often forget this story, and yet the Ephesians would have known it. They'd spent time with him. They'd seen the miracles. They'd seen the transformation that happened in people. They watched a whole town, and we'll see it in a moment, give up one way and follow the other because this guy came with the authority of God. He has authority given to him by God, not because he wanted it. Remember, he's kicking against the goads. He was going against what God was doing, not because he sort of rallied enough support and people voted for him and he's like, yes, I'm Apostle Paul now. Not because he was voted in by any particular church and sent out. No. And so why am I stressing this? Because when we read these words, they have the authority of God to us. We should listen. When, we, when these words address, they address us as if God is speaking to us. But then also, that moment where Paul sees the light, Paul's experience is like our own experience too. Paul's experience is not always known either. We often forget that bit of the story where this this man comes to faith through the miraculous work of Jesus. It's the story of the gospel. And his experience shapes how he introduces himself. So too will our experience shape the way that 
we introduce ourselves, how we can be addressed. His experience is like ours. And so that brings us to the people of God. So let me introduce you to God's holy people in Christ. Paul has introduced himself. We've understood his identity as a seen and sent one, as an apostle, but really his identity is a Christian, and then that's his role. And his purpose as one who goes out proclaiming that, who he is and what he does, well, really, what he be. (laughs) Now, we get God's people as he addresses them. We get a similar way of understanding their definition. This is what defines and identifies, well, us. This is who we are. This is what we do, what we be. Have a look, the second half of verse one. To God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. To God's holy people. Now, anybody got a different version that says, to the saints? Anyone? Yeah, saints. Very quickly, again, ask yourselves, when you hear the word saint, what do you think? The same person you introduce yourself to, explain what a saint is. Try. And don't, don't get too, like, Bible study-like. Online as well, you might want to type in, what do most people think of when they think of a saint? Go, quick, very quickly. What do you think most people think of when they think of a saint? Online as well, I'd love to see a couple of things pop up. What do people think of when they think of a saint? Maybe Saint Nick, Saint Nicholas, Saint Patrick's Day... All right, anybody brave enough to sort of shout out what they thought or what somebody else thought? Yeah, drop somebody else in. Tell me what the other person said. Sorry? Holy. So special in that sense too, right? Anything else? Yeah. Sorry? Football team. Oh, there you go. Thank you. The Saints. Yes, that's right. Often they're adop- like these things are adopted by football teams and the like. Anything else? Richard, you just preached my sermon in one line. A believer who's trying to walk the Jesus road. All right, we'll get there, mate, okay? (laughs) There's something else here. Cleansed by God, so holy, special. So yeah, saint often we attach with these individuals to who have walked such a perfect line that they've been given sainthood, particularly in the Catholic Church, the Orthodox Orthodox Church, that's what's given. And there's a particular way you have to go through it. But here, Paul addresses all of them as God's holy people. So yes, holy, special, set apart. And that's what's primarily reflected here. This idea, the primary thing is that we see and we will see that God has set these people apart as special to be his very own by his will and his work, not by my will and my work. I don't have to work super hard to get sainthood. I've been given it. And so you can go around introducing yourself, if you'd like, Richard, as Saint Richard. You can do it for the rest of your days. Now, most of us aren't going to do that, right? But we can, as holy people. It's not that we are trying to be perfect and and live that way ourselves. It's not that we have performed and done all the right rituals and practices. This was always the plan, that God would have a special people that he would call his own, his holy people. I want to show you that real quick. I started, I don't know what, what you guys are like, beginning of the year, but most years I start a new Bible reading plan that I will somewhat fail about six months, no, six weeks in. I try and keep up. And at the moment, I've set myself a very outrageous task and I've been punching through Genesis and really loving it. And so I read this passage the other day, which sparked me going, let's tell this story a little bit. Because in 
Genesis, we see the creation of the world, right? God makes his people. And it all goes terribly wrong as they sin. But then in Genesis 12, he finds this one man that he pulls out and says, I'm going to, with you, bless the entire world. I'm going to set you apart and then set others apart through you. And listen to what is promised to Abraham, Father Abraham, you know that bloke, in Genesis 17, 7. All the way at the beginning of your Bibles, it says, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants, your people, after you, for the generations to come. Listen to this bit. To be your God and the God of your descendants after you. To be your God and you to be my people. Then we get to Moses. What's happened is Israel has gone into uh, Egypt. They're being crushed under oppression there. And Moses in Exodus 6 is getting ready to liberate the people out. And, and, and God says, I will take you to Israel to be my people. And I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Then they get out and they're out in the wilderness and they're given the law. And the law tells them, you are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy and I've set you apart from the nations to be my own. We picking up the storyline here? And then terribly, Israel decides for many, many years to, to neglect that, to say, we don't want to really be your people. We want to go and, 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 and worship the other gods and, and follow the other ways. And a bit like in Ephesus, where there's different spiritual options, spread ourselves around, so they go into exile. But even there, God says to them, Ezekiel 36, 28, you will be my people and I will be your God, because I'm going to find a way to bring you back. Jeremiah 30, he says the exact same thing. And then in Jeremiah 31, we get this beautiful promise. And listen to the words. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time. So when he brings them back, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and you will be my people. And so when Christ Jesus comes and liberates us from sin and death and sends us the Holy Spirit who dwells within our hearts, who's transforming our minds, it's happening. And Peter will say to people in 1 Peter 2, don't you know that you are God's very own temple, his own people, chosen, holy, dearly loved? It's always been the plan. And he says in 1 Peter, at the beginning, 1 Peter 1, be holy for I am holy. Why am I stressing this point now as we introduce ourselves? Because this is your introduction. All of it. That's, don't every time you meet someone tell that whole introduction because that'll start to get a bit weird. But please remember that as you consider who you are, how it is that you're being addressed by the God of the universe, how it is that other people should see you. This is your story. The whole story, this is our history. All of it. It wasn't plan B. This was the plan to show that you then are God's holy people in, for you lot here right now, in Menai, not Ephesus, Menai. And wherever everybody else is, on holidays, see if I can find someone. In Lauriton, the Baileys up there, fantastic. This is who you are. And that that would come in and through Christ. Why am I stressing this? Particularly at the beginning of a year. Because it's not always actually known to us. We, we sort of live this Christian life rhythm way of doing things, showing up to church, interacting with others, but sometimes forget the very introduction that we've been given, the very address that we've received, the very identity, who we are, and therefore why we do what we do and how we be. 
And all of it is because we are God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. That is what defines us. That is our identity. That is where we abide, where we draw from, like the branch attached to the vine. This is where we are united and built up together because of the head being Christ Jesus. That is what defines us. And the richness in this idea of in Christ, I'm not going to tease out today because that'll come in the next couple of weeks and for the rest of our lives as we figure that out. This is what defines and gives purpose. Your introduction is, I'm a saint in Christ Jesus. I'm a holy person in Christ Jesus. That is then what drives our salvation and our expression of worship and praise. That's what drives our doctrine as well as our ethical way of living. That is what drives who we are and how we be. And so when you introduce yourself, remember that. Why that? What I mean is when you think about who you are. Now, when we introduce ourselves, we said before, we normally go name, what we do, maybe where we're from. And in some respects, that almost sounds like what Paul's doing here. God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. There's like a geographical way of thinking about it. But they're like in two places then, aren't they? If they're in Christ, but in Ephesus, how does that work? It's kind of like they've got a dual citizenship. And that's one of the tensions that we find as Christians, isn't it? That we live in Christ Jesus. But the reality is, as we enter into a new year, our feet are still firmly planted here on earth, aren't they? In this location, in Ephesus, trying to figure out how is it that we live with this surrounding nation around us, as we talked about in uh, 1 Corinthians, this third way, right? Because really, it's not so much that we've got dual citizenships. We've got our citizenship in heaven, and we are just here for a period of time. Here, Paul is again introducing God's plan for his people, and he's introducing them as saints in Christ, saying, now live in whatever context you find yourselves in, which will mean there might be some things that we're going to have to throw out this year as we enter into a new year, turn from some things that we're going to have to really think through. How is it that we are actually continuing to be God's people? Let me show you what I mean by returning to Ephesus quickly. Because when you become this dual citizen, there, there is still only one allegiance. There can still only be one genuine citizenship that you have, which is in heaven with Christ Jesus, in Him. Jump back again to Acts 19, because I find this story, and if you, please, do yourself a favour, read Acts 19. It is a fantastic story. One day I'd love to see it, like, not acted out, because there's a naked guy in it, but you, as in, you get what I'm trying to say, right? See, Ephesus was this incredible place. It was cosmopolitan, commercial, pluralistically pagan, not secular in the way that we view it, but secular in the sense that it wasn't Christian. They were super, supernatural. You heard it in the video before, didn't you? The numbers of gods that they would worship, pluralistic and just trying to cover them all. And then Artemis was this one that they would all worship very, very carefully. And the story in Acts 19 really shows just how committed to that they were and how the infrastructure of the world around them relied upon it. Because as soon as Paul comes in and preaches this stuff and the silver makers are like, oh no, people aren't buying our idols anymore. They're like, we've got to get this guy. Like, listen to the story. Have a look at verses 13 to 16. Look what happens. Some of these other Jews go, hey, this seems pretty cool that he's doing this cool stuff. Let's claim the name of Jesus and claim it and try and use that. And then we have this crazy story where the seven sons of Sceva and a Jewish priest um, are overrun by this evil spirit and they go running out 
of the house and he gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. It's quite funny. But then what we get is, verse 17, when this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. And listen to this. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honour. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. Look at this. All of a sudden, being willing to confess their sins. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. drachmas. Now, just to give you a bit of perspective on that, a drachma is a day's wage. Right? So we've got 50,000 drachmas, 50,000 days wages. So I sort of did a bit of math, and I might be wrong here, but let's go with it. That's the full-time equivalent in our modern day with the average sort of, well, I think it was actually low-income way to put it on, of $16 million. 195 years worth of work on an average wave. $16 million, that'll buy you one house in the northern shore and many, many, many here, right? That's, it's a huge amount of money that they've come and just been willing to chuck all of this stuff out. Why? Because they now hold the name of Jesus in high honour. In this way, it says, verse 20, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. What did verse 17 say? The name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honour and those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. We, we are a people who claim the name of Jesus now. You are in Christ, God's holy people. You have that name. That's how you introduce yourself. You better hold it in high honour, right? Given what that name has attached to it. And so it's less clear for us. It's less clear for us in this world that we live in that there are the supernatural realities that are at play that are trying to pull and tug us in different ways. But if we are those who believe, we introduce ourselves with that name, we confess when we have been serving other powers, even if it is ourselves. We want to introduce ourselves with that name, no matter the cost, 16 million, whatever it is, no matter the cost. Relationships, well-being. We want to continue to make sure that that is our primary introduction. Because clearly for Ephesus, they were living within a spiritual battleground, weren't they? And they still had the fear and they were turning to this stuff. They had to go, no, 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 I can trust Jesus fully. It is less clear for us, but it is just as real. We get that, don't we? The spiritual realities that are at play in our world are just as real. The commercial enterprises of the spiritual world are still at work. They're still trying to dial it out so you buy it. For those who introduce themselves as saints in Christ, set apart to be God's holy people, we need to live with the reality of this dual citizenship, but with a very clear allegiance. This is who we are. This is who we will be. Now, most of the time, that can feel pretty ordinary. We just got to kind of go through the motions, do our thing, or we might even feel ourselves quite insignificant. Or maybe I say all of that, and you then sit there and go, oh, Brett, way to chuck a burden on me. I feel helpless and hopeless. But I'm introducing you today to God's eternal cosmic plan for his people. God's eternal and cosmic plan that plays out through this people. That's his plan, to play it out through us. Listen to what he says as he, chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10. He's putting this all into effect when the times have reached their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth 
under Christ. And then the verse that blows my mind every time I think about it. He unpacks in chapter 3 the way that it is that all things are going to be brought together under Christ Jesus. And he says then, verse 10, his intent was that now, through the church, God's holy people in Christ, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. We, just simply by being, we are the ones who get to proclaim to the heavenly realms, to all authorities, to all powers, Jesus Christ is Lord. So no matter how ordinary you feel entering into this new year, no matter how ordinary we feel as a church, as we try and do things in our own strength, maybe even as we try and we do want to see you praised and honoured, Lord. We do want to be those holy people that you've called us to be. No matter how ordinary we feel, simply we as a church, just like every other church, by being the church, by being God's holy people set apart in Christ, we are proclaiming the victory of Jesus' death and resurrection to every single power that wants to undermine that. We are making sure that his name is being honoured and glorified throughout all the ages. What an incredible reality that is, right? How good is it to be called the people of God? And how do we get that? Well, you better work hard, right? No. What does he say? Verse 2. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that could just be a, a general, a nice little grace I'm not about, introduce, about to introduce another person named Grace. This is the concept, Grace. What is he doing? He's saying all of this is made possible to you through Grace. And the result is peace. Peace to a people who are living in fear. Peace to a people who are in, feeling incomplete. Peace to a people who don't feel like they've got all the blessings and need to chase and pursue it. No, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And those two things bring praise, and we'll look at that in the next couple of weeks. But just to close, saints in Christ by grace. And Paul will unpack both in Christ and grace throughout this letter. And I'm just going to jump to chapter 2, because listen to what this grace is. He says, but because of his great love, he's just described how these people are dead dead because of the, the sin in them, because of the world they live in, because of the power of the, the, the devil. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. There you are, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. There's what we do. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Picture it this way. All of us. How do we get this? Do we just work? Will? No. Because all of us are spiritually dead. Before Christ Jesus, we're like a corpse, breathless, lifeless, lying in a coffin. Not just lying in a coffin, but the coffin has been nailed shut, boxed in, in sin. And inside, we are bound, we are chained, we are roped, we are straight-jacketed by all of our own self and the world and the pressure of the devil. We are tired, and we are on our way to facing the wrath of God as we rightfully deserve because we are spiritually dead. On our way to the crem- not even just on our way to the crematorium, we are on the belt. And there is nothing we can do, nothing but the story of the gospel that gives you and me our new introduction, that gives us 
this story. Just like Paul was on his way on that road, the light comes because Jesus has rushed into the crematorium. He has smashed open the coffin. He has torn the bonds that hold us apart. And although he is burnt and he is scarred because of how he had to do this upon the cross, he rescues us, resuscitating us with his breath, breathing new life into us, giving us his very life because we are now in Christ, dressing us in his robes of righteousness because we are his holy people, saints, set apart. No more chains, no more ropes, no more straitjackets, no more death but life. And then he has carried us to his place, to his seat, where the Father has adopted us as his very own. A Father who says, I planned this for you from the very beginning. I made sure you'd get here. Sit with me now. Rule with me. In the coming ages, your future is to live and to enjoy every single blessing that I am giving to you. I am the King who is above and over all. This is to the praise of his glorious grace, right? This is who we are, and that's how we got it. Each and every single one of us gets to be addressed by God this way and then introduce themselves to the world that way. And what will happen? If we do that authentically, if we know that that's my experience, that I've continually introduced myself authentically, wow, the world will see. God knows this about you. You know that? God knows this about who you are as his very own. Do you know that about you? We might need to reintroduce ourselves to ourselves. And I'm hoping over the next few weeks as we look again, we might look again and say, who am I? Not, well, who is Paul and I need Paul's experience. Not who is my family or not even who was I, but who am I now in Christ Jesus? And so as the band comes up to play, I think this is a very, very fitting song for us to sing as we reflect upon this. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. What a great way to start our year. A reminder that God's plan for his people was to reveal his glory and grace through them. So why don't we stand, saints in Christ, and praise his glorious name.